Parshat Ki Tava, this week's Parsha Shir, is sponsored by Aaron and Lillian Fuchs in memory of Sylvia Glatter, Zelda Batlea Aleha Shalom, whose yard site was this past Shabbat on the 14th of Elul. Her neshama should have an aliyah. We should all be zeichet to see Tchias HaMesim. We'll begin with four pesukim at the end of chapter 26 in Devarim. Hayom hazeh Hashem elokechum la'asot. So the idea here is that if you recall, Moshe Rabbeinu gave a series of speeches during the course of his last few weeks alive. Um, he lived for five weeks from the very big, from the moment of Elahad Varim at the beginning of the book until the end of the Zotah Bracha, which we'll read on Simchat Torah, was actually five weeks. The longest drosha he gave is the one that we're going to be quoting from today. Okay, this is the longest of all the droshas. This is towards the end of the drosha, towards the end of the speech that he gave. It's a very significant speech because essentially what it is, is the launch pad for the Jewish nation to take on their own independence. He is relinquishing his leadership role and the whole paradigm of Jewish existence, of Jewish nationhood is going to change from the 40 years that they lived in the wilderness, in the Midbar, and now they're going to take over the land of Canaan. And here we're going to see that shift is very much evident in the four Pesukim that I'm now going to quote for you. Hayom Hazeh, this day, Hashem the Lord your God is commanding you to fulfill these statutes, and ordinances, laws, to observe and fulfill them, with all your heart and with all your soul. So the first thing, and really what we're going to focus on predominantly today, to notice is the words, Hayom Hazeh, this day, okay? And you're going to see that Rashi and everybody really that we're quoting today is very focused on the fact that he says this day. There's something very specific about Hayom Hazeh, not just Hayom, Hayom Hazeh. What was different about that particular day as opposed to the day before or the day afterwards or week before or year before or 40 years before when it all began, okay? Or the day of Mount Sinai. Hayom Hazeh, Hashem Elokechem Metzavcha La'asot. This very day, God is commanding you. Why this day? Why not yesterday? Why not 40 years ago? Why not at Mount Sinai? In other words, there's something very specific in the way it's expressed. Let's continue the Pesukim. Et Hashem He'emarta hayom liyot lecha lelokim. You have selected the, the Lord this day to be your God. Again, the word Hayom, not Hayom Hazer, but it seems to be drawing on this same concept. The Hayom of the first Pasuk that I quote, I quoted earlier, is the same Hayom of the second Pasuk. You have selected this day to do what? Um, what have you done on this particular day? You're going to walk in his ways. You're going to observe his statutes, you're going to observe his commandments and his ordinances, and you're going to obey him. 
on this day, Hayom. Hayom Hazer we began, right? So there's something specifically going on this day. Vashem Hemir Hayom. And as a result, God has selected you this day, Liot Lo Laam Segula, to be his treasured people, his treasured nation. Jewish nationhood somehow begins today. Tasher Dibelach Vilishmor Kol Mitzvotav. As he spoke to you, and so that you shall observe all his commandments. And to make you supreme above all the nations. That he made to be praised, to earn a distinguished name and glory. And so that you will be a holy people to the Lord your God, as he said. Something very specific is going on at the end of this speech given by Moshe Rabbeinu. This is an auspicious day. It's an important day. This is the day when your nationhood, your identity, your brand as the Jewish nation has been crystallized, has been confirmed. You will observe the mitzvot and God will raise you above all the other nation in his eyes. And there's something going on. Okay, now, I've just quoted you the pesukim. I'm sure that if you would read this when on Shabbat we read these pesukim, you wouldn't take it too seriously. You wouldn't notice it because the language is familiar language. These are all words. These are familiar key words that are used across Devarim, and in fact across the Torah. But somehow, this particular series of four psukim is special. It is conveying a particular message. And in fact, as we're going to see during the course of this shiur, hopefully about an hour long, we're going to discover that this particular moment was a crucial a pivotal moment in the annals of Jewish history. Okay, let's begin with Rashi. So Rashi is puzzled, as we were, by the words, the phrase, the statement, Hayom Hazeh. Hayom Hazeh Hashem Elokecha Metzavcha, says Rashi. And by the way, he's quoting a Medrash, Midrash Tanchuma. As you know, Rashi, generally speaking, when he comes across a puzzling phrase or idea, he runs to Chazal. That's, that's his go-to place. Um, what is unusual is to, for him to quote a Tanchuma. Okay? So he quotes generally Midrash Rabbah before we get to Matan Torah, before we get to the mitzvot. Then he's quoting Sifri and Sifra. He's not quoting Midrash Rabbah. Tanchuma, by the way, is just a um, parallel text to Midrash Rabbah. Okay? So the fact that he's quoting this Midrash means that there is A, a significant issue with the phrase Hayom Hazer, which he feels he needs to address, and B, the only source of information that Rashi finds a satisfactory explanation for this phrase, Hayom Hazer, is this Midrash in Tanchuma. 
So he feels he needs to convey this very important message to us so that we can adequately understand the use of the phrase Hayom Hazeh. This is what he says. Bechol yom yiyu be'enecha chadashim Each and every day God's commandments should be to you as if they're new. Ke'ilu bo bayom nitztaveta alehem As though you had received these directives that very day for the very first time. So he says that the concept that's being conveyed by Moshe Rabbeinu here is a Jewish ethics concept, Musar. Moshe Rabbeinu wants to tell you this is not something that happened in the distant mists of history. When he says the words Hayom Hazer, he's not even speaking on, about this particular day. Every day is Hayom Hazer. Each morning when you wake up in the morning, it's Hayom Hazer. Have you ever met people who live totally in the past? Do you know what I'm talking about? They live completely in the past. Everything that they do is some reflection of something that happened a long time ago. It's not about today. It's about this is what happened then and therefore I'm doing something now. Or have you ever met people who never live in the moment? They're always busy with what's going to happen tomorrow or next week or in three months or in 10 years. You say everything that they do is strategic. What about today? Says Moshe Rabbeinu in this, I'm just giving you one way to understand Rashi. Hayom Hazer, live in the moment as if this moment was the moment when whatever it is that I'm talking to you about, that's when it happened. Hayom Hazer, Hashem Elokecha Metzavcha, today God commanded you. Not 3,000 years ago at Mount Sinai, and not in three weeks' time when it's convenient for you or when you think it applies. Hayom Hazer. How are we going to behave today as a reflection of Hashem Elokecha Metzavcha Lasot et Achukim Ha'ele? Do you get it? So that's, I'm just giving you a basic understanding of Rashi. We're now going to look at Rabbi Baruch Shalom Ashlag. Who was he? Who was Rabbi Ashlag? So his father was known as the Baal Hasulam. You know that the Zohar, the most famous but inaccessible text of Kabbalah remained inaccessible until basically the 20th century. That means only great Kabbalists were able to go through the Zohar and use it as a platform for uh, teaching or for uh, Jewish knowledge, information, etc. So his father, Rabbi Yehuda Ashlag, decided that the time had come, because we lived in a messianic age, that the Zohar, the most esoteric text of Jewish mysticism, needed to be presented for a much wider audience. And therefore, he, I, I'm going to use the word translation, it wasn't really a translation, he created um, a commentary which essentially is a translation with some explanation, of the Zohar called the Sulam. He's known as the Baal HaSulam. He was the rabbi of Giv'at Sha'ul in Jerusalem before it was a big neighborhood. 
and he came to London. Uh, he went to the British Library and to Oxford, looked at ancient uh, manuscripts of the Zohar, and he created the translation that has become so famous, and by the way, which launched many other similar enterprises in presenting the Zohar to a much wider audience. And his son was Rabbi Baruch Shalom Ashlag. He died in 1991, and he continued with his father's work. He continued to present some of the mystical ideas which underpin, which underscore Jewish theology and Jewish idea, um, uh, ideology in terms of how it is that we need to behave as Jews. He focuses on this idea that's presented by Rashi. Lahavin, he says, we need to understand. How is it actually possible for a human being to believe or to take on board this idea that today I was commanded. Okay, I'll give, you an, I'll give you an example that we can all relate to in everyday life. You get a job. On what basis do you get a job? You have a job description. Doesn't matter what your job is. You have a job description. If you work in the finance industry, if you work in the medical industry, if you a rabbi, doesn't make a difference. Whatever your job is, you have a job description. When was that job description written? Whenever you got the job. So every day when you wake up and you go to work, you conduct yourself, you conduct the things that you do during the course of any given day according to the job description that was given to you at some moment previously. doesn't matter if it was a week before, a month before, a year before, ten years ago. That's how you conduct your life. But you don't see that document, your job description, as something that was given to you this morning. You don't wake up in the morning and think, you look at your job description, oh my gosh, this is something I've never seen before. This is what I meant to do today? Okay. And you take the job description and go to work. That's not how it works. You know what you need to do. It's almost routine. You get into the habit of doing the things that you've always done. Says Rabbi Ashlag, what Rashi seems to be saying is that we need to create some kind of paradigm which enables you to be fresh in everything that you're doing on a daily basis. But how is that possible? In order to understand that fully, we need to understand a general idea, which is According to the greatness and the um, prominence in a person's mind of the, of the giver of the Torah, in other words, in the eye of the receiver, So is the Torah great. So if you need to understand the dynamic here, you need to under, understand a, a very important principle. The principle is to the extent that you are taking on board the greatness, the omnipotence, the vastness of he who gave the Torah, so will the Torah be great in your eyes. Okay? Lachen. To the 
to the extent that a person appreciates the greatness of God, so will the Torah be new and fresh in that person's eyes. You wake up in the morning. What do we say the first thing in the morning when we wake up? Why are we saying that? Obviously God exists. Okay, so on the most basic level, you know that when you go to sleep, you don't know if you're going to wake up, right? People die in their sleep. I woke up in the morning. Oh my gosh, I'm alive. I'm so happy I'm alive. That's the most basic understanding of it. But what Rabbi Ashlag wants to say is there's something more here. Every morning, you have to, as it were, renew your vows with God. I'm just using a marriage analogy. You have a relationship with God. It's not a relationship that existed in the past. It existed in the past. Today's relationship is new. Today, once again, I have to say, oh my gosh, God is great. God loves me. I have a relationship with God. I love God. To the extent that you're able to muster up that energy, that God energy in your life, that is the extent to which God will be important to you on that day. Do you understand what's going on here? God is important. We know God's important. I wake up in the morning, I know God's important. But is he going to be important to me today? Or is today just going to be another day when I acknowledge God on the basis of something that I did last week or last month or last year? Do you see what do you see what he's saying? So let's continue. Every time you do that, the Torah that you have in your life is new. It's renewed and it's new. There's a new giver of the Torah. Imagine you receive a gift, a beautiful gift. Whatever the gift is, it could be jewelry, it could be a camera, it could be a car, it could, I don't know, what. whatever, I, I'm using ridiculous examples. Whatever that gift may be, item of clothing, a watch. And every day you look at the watch, how do you think about that watch? Do you think, oh my gosh, I received that watch three years ago and I'm still wearing it? Or do you think, how lucky I am to have this watch and I'm wearing this watch today? If you think that way, then the gift of the watch is not something that happened three years ago. It happened this morning. I put on the watch and it's as fresh for me this morning as it was three years ago. And not only that, it's as if the person gave you the watch today. Do you understand? Because my relationship with that watch was new today. Therefore, that person gave me the gift today. It's not easy. I'm not pretending to you that it's easy. I'm just expressing the idea. So too with the Torah. If you receive the Torah every day as if you're receiving it for the first time, suddenly that Torah takes on a new meaning for today as if you received it today. God renews himself each day as the giver of the Torah in your life. The Torah that comes from the giver becomes like a new Torah that you were given on that day. If each and every day the Jews, the Jewish nation, each Jew 
realizes or perceives the greatness of God. In correspondence with that, the Torah itself will grow in that person's life. It is a yin-yang relationship. What you invest into it is what you will receive back from it. It's not something that happened in the past that you continue today. It's not a job description that you were given at some moment many months or years ago and you're just reliving that experience every day. No, it's a new... I was given that job description this morning. I'm so lucky to have that job. I'm so happy that my boss gave me this job and therefore I'm going to do the job in the best possible way and the job itself will seem fresh and new as I do it. And each day you become a new Jew. Each and every day you are refreshed. And now he adds a spiritual element. Every time you do something in a new and refreshed way, it is, is, it is new, not it as if it's new. It is new that day. It's as if it never happened in the in creation ever before. That's it's tzura acheret. It's a totally different version of the same thing, right? So I'm, I'll give you an example that we can understand, right? You can visit um, a restaurant, okay, and you're hungry. And they give you your favorite meal, whatever your favorite meal may be. It may be steak and chips. It may be, uh, you know, a salad. It makes no difference what the meal is. You go home and you ate the meal. You can't eat, by the way. You can't eat again that day because you're full. You ate a full meal. Three weeks later, somebody takes you to the restaurant again and you have your favorite meal again. Does the meal you had three weeks ago have any relevance to the meal you had then the three weeks later? No, of course not, because you're hungry now and you're having your favorite meal now. And the meal that you ate then, had you not eaten it, wouldn't exist. So it's not relevant to the now. It was relevant then, you know, whatever they would have used as the ingredients to present you with your favorite meal would now be rotten and useless. They couldn't have kept it from then and given it to you now. That's the idea here, that that which you have when it's new and fresh, it's as if you've never had it before. Doesn't matter if you've had it before, because that was then, and now is now. Yeshlot tzura acheret. It's a completely different thing. Lachain. Im ha'adam mekabel chol yom emuna yoter gedola. If each and every day a person accepts upon himself um, a greater level or a new level of faith, as ha'torah nechshevet lechadasha, then the Torah itself is renewed. It's as if I received it today. Vezepirush ke'ilu nitztavi nitztavita bovayom. That's what Rashi means when he says it's as if you were commanded in it today. Because each and every day there's a renewed version of that commandment. And now that you're doing it in a new way, it doesn't matter that you did it yesterday and the day before. Now I'm doing it. And now I can achieve new, different achievements as a result of whatever it is that I'm doing. If I make a bracha today, who cares if I made a bracha yesterday? I'm not saying who cares, but you understand. In the context of today, it's not relevant. It's fresh today. I have an opportunity to do it today. It's new today. 
it creates a whole new level of excitement and interest and meaningfulness in the mitzvot that I do each and every day. It says, if you were commanded in it today, Every aspect of the mitzvah is renewed, is new, is fresh. The Torah is fresh, the mitzvah is fresh, you're fresh, you're new. It's vital, it's real. That's what it means. That's why Moshe Rabbeinu, in these final uh, few moments of his life, wished to convey the idea that the Torah, your Jewish identity, who you are as a servant of God, is Hayom Hazeh. Treat each and every day as if there was never a day before and there's not going to be a tomorrow. It's fresh in and of itself, for itself, and that is an improvement on anything that's happened in the past. The Ramban has a rather more prosaic explanation as to what the phrase Hayom Hazeh means. I'm going to read you the English translation. It's the bottom of page one on my source sheet. Moshe had finished explaining the Torah and presenting new laws that God had commanded him to present the nation. And so he said, this day the Lord your God commands you to do these statutes and commandments. Why? Says the Ramban. The Torah is ended. The Ramban's understanding of this word, it marks a new era, a new moment in Jewish history. What is that? Until now, everything I told you, to some extent, was new. You'd never heard it before. Okay, so there were some mitzvot which I repeated, but essentially everything I told you was completely new. Now I have completed the Torah. So everything I'm going to tell you from now on is either an explanation or, to some extent, is just self-evident from everything that I've told you in the past. So, Hayom Hazer, this day, marks the end of, I guess, the Torah giving. This is a bigger discussion. Childhood of nation, adulthood starts. Correct. Adolescence is over, okay? The, the era of preparation or the era of apprenticeship is over. But there's something much more profound here, which I, th I just want to touch upon. And it's a controversial topic, although the Talmud addresses it, it's still a controversial topic. What did the Jews receive on Mount Sinai? So we know what they received because the Torah tells us they received the Ten Commandments. And yet the Torah continues beyond the Ten Commandments until the end of Devarim. We treat the Torah, the five books of Moses, as the word of God that we received on Sinai. That's the, that's the way it's treated in Jewish theology. However, we know for sure that there was much of what we see in the five books of Moses after M Mount Sinai that was not received on Sinai. Why? Simply because it hadn't happened yet. I'm not going to go into the practical elements of that discussion as to how that unfolded and what it means that the whole Torah was given on Sinai. That's something I've discussed in other shiurim over the years. 
But what the Ramban is saying here is that every aspect of the Torah which relates to you must do this or you shouldn't do that ends today. Hayom Hazeh. From now on, it's changed. There's a new era. The 40 years of receiving the Torah are now over. And now, from now on, it's a new era. You're the Jewish nation who has received a full version of the Torah in terms of its instructions and directives. Let's look at the next source, which is the Abarbanel. I've translated it into English. We'll read the English translation. After our teacher, Moshe, finished explaining the Torah, he said, This day the Lord commands you to do. What does it mean? It means to say, since I have already finished explaining the commandments, there is no need to speak about their explanation anymore. But rather, now is the time to instruct you regarding their performance and observance. You know everything about them. Have you ever met people who, you, you know, they, they have a task at hand, and they're constantly telling you, how do I do this? How do I do that? And eventually you just want to say to them, listen, just do it. Stop talking about the how. I've told you how. You've asked me a million questions. I've told you exactly what needs to be done. Stop asking questions. Now do it. Says Moshe Rabbeinu, that Barbanel is really acting as an explanation of the Ramban. There's no more discussion about what you need to do or how you need to do it. All that needs to be spoken about now is the doing of it. That's all we need to talk about. Hayom hazeh. Now, right now, what needs to be done? Hashem elokecha metzavcha l'asot. There's no more learning. Yes, there's going to be learning. But now it's about the doing. Now the, the predominant element of being a Jew is no longer discussing the theory but it's putting it into practice. Let me continue with the translation. Perhaps until now, you do not know the explanation of the commandments, by the way, parenthetically, that might mean that you didn't do them or didn't do them properly. But now that I have explained them in terms of what they are, there is nothing new to add on that front. And the only thing left is to warn you about their performance. And this is why he said, just let me look at the Hebrew here, the pasuk that launches this, these four pasukim is there to separate, as it were, everything that came previously in the Torah from everything that will follow and which everything will follow after the Torah is completed in terms of it acting as a dividing line, before you might have had an excuse to say, I don't know what you're talking about. From now on, there's no excuse, I don't know what you're talking about. You know exactly what I'm talking about. You need to do it. You may need some instruction. There may need to be some discussion as to how you do it. But that discussion doesn't act as an excuse not to do it. Hayom hazeh, today it's done. We're done. I've finished. Look at the Hamek Davar, number six in your source sheet. Hayom Hazeh. Yadah Hadrash Shevi Rashi. Everybody knows the explanation, the homiletic explanation that Rashi 
suggests. Each and every day, it should be as if it's new. We've already discussed that. Aval, he says. According to his words, according to what we've heard about what Rashi said, we don't have an understanding of the basic idea behind the Pasuk. It's a beautiful concept. The concept being that you need to renew yourself every day. It's an ethical concept that may be in the background. But how do you understand the basic translation of the verse? Because essentially, what Moshe Rabbeinu seems to be saying is today something different happened that didn't happen yesterday and won't happen tomorrow. That's the under the words Hayom Hazer don't mean what Rashi says. It's a lovely explanation. And Rabbi Ashlag offered us a beautiful background to that explanation. But essentially, it's not the true meaning of the words. The true meaning of the words are that Moshe Rabbeinu said, Hayom Hazer, today, specifically today. Says the Hamek Davar, what does it actually mean? Hayom Hazer So if you want to understand, before we even understand what that means, the words Hayom Hazer, are, um, a, a, are there differentiate themselves or differentiate that day from a previous very important day that occurred in Jewish history. What was that day? The day of Kabbalat HaTorah. We received the Torah at Mount Sinai. That was a very important day in Jewish history. And Moshe Rabbeinu is saying, yes, there was a time 40 years ago when you received the Torah. However, there is also Hayom Hazer. And what does Moshe Rabbeinu Moses wish to convey with that? Says the Hamek Davar, V'inyan parsha zuhu hakdama ubiur lechritat brit sheba achrav. If you want to understand what's going on here, is that Moshe Rabbeinu wishes to convey a very important concept. We've spoken about it in previous years that there was a second covenant, the new covenant of Moshe, that took place on the plains of Moab, Ba'arvot Moab. There was the covenant, the Brit, as it were, of Mount Sinai, receiving the Torah. And then there was the covenant of the nation in the moments before they began the conquest of the Holy Land, of the Promised Land. The new, the new covenant that took place, I know that there is a shiur online about the new covenant that I've got on my website. You must look it up. But these verses, these pesukim, act as the introduction, as the dividing line, as it were, between the old covenant or the first covenant of Mount Sinai and the new covenant of the nation emerging out of um, adolescence, out of apprenticeship and into adulthood, into real nationhood, the nationhood of a nation that has its own land, its own country, its own system of government, etc., etc. And that is best represented by what takes place towards the end of Kitavo, which is Habrachot v'haklalot, the blessings and the curses. Shenikra brit sheba'arvot Moab, this is called the covenant of the plains of Moab. And there's something extremely important which um, is exemplified 
in this particular covenant that wasn't in the previous covenant or the first covenant that took place at Mount Sinai. This covenant has an advantage. Hainu mashen is haru ata ashketat haTorah lechadesh bo dinim api klale haTorah bediktu keha. Says the Netziv, the Hamek Davar, a beautiful idea. There's something totally new that is being delivered to the Jewish nation today. Something which is going to be mentioned later on in Parshat Nitzavim, which is, until now, the Torah has been in heaven. The Torah is the Torah of God, delivered as a kind of oracle for the Jews. From now on, it's yours. Lo bashamayim hi. It's not in heaven anymore. That's what it says in Parshat Nitzavim. It becomes yours. You have the system by which it can be interpreted, developed, adapted, so that it is relevant not just to your nation, but to future generations. Sorry, not just your generation, but to future generations, all the way through until here we're in the year 2019. And I'm sure there'll be many years from now on as well. Every generation has this Torah. When did that moment happen? That we have the Torah and it belongs to us? Ba'arvot Mo'av. Hayom Hazeh. On this day, the gift of the Torah that we got at Mount Sinai finally belongs to us. It's no longer partly God's or completely God's. From now on, it is yours. I've given it to you. I've given it over to you. You now take it and you deal with it and you love it and you nurture it. You be creative with it. And in the ways and the methods of the Talmud, that means the interpretive methods which Moshe Rabbeinu gave us at that moment, we begin by calling them Mishpatea um, Talmud. Uh, um, uh, we know that they were developed over many generations until ultimately we formulated the Talmud itself. It was written down, um, you know, 1800 or 1700 years ago. Um, and that moment in our history is so auspicious because it began with Hayom Hazeh and it ended with the um, completion of the Talmud. And to this day, our faith, the way we practice the Torah, is based on this system that was delivered by Moshe Rabbeinu in this moment, 40 years after the Torah was given. Let's look at the Orachayim. There's a translation. We're going to use that translation. It's number seven. Says the Orachaim, Did Moshe Rabbeinu actually command these commandments on the day the Torah reports this, i.e. a few days before his death? That's what, that's what the Orachaim wants to know. Because it says, Hayom Hazeh, and Hashem uh, What, really? This was the first time Moshe Rabbeinu thought to command these commandments? Had God not commanded all of these commandments when the people were at Mount Sinai? So Rashi explains, this is what the Rachaim says, that Moshe meant that the commandments should be regarded by the people as if they were something new each day. Says the Rachaim, but I think that maybe what the Torah had in mind is this. Whereas it is true that all these commandments had been legislated and taught ever since the people had stood at Mount Sinai, the commandments which pertain to the land of Israel had thus far only been in the realm of theory. 
i.e. they had to be studied, but they couldn't be performed. You couldn't do them. You live in the, you live in the desert, you don't live in Israel. You can't bring truma, you can't bring miser, you can't uh, do anything which pertains to the land, which is relevant to the land. Why? Because you don't live in the land. You live in the Sinai desert. You live in a wilderness. You don't live in Eretz Yisrael. Moses says that as of the day he addressed the people, Hayom Hazer, the laws pertaining to the land of Israel, such as truma, such as tithes, were no longer in the sphere of theory, but had begun to assume practical significance. The words this day, Hayom Hazer, are not to be taken literally as this particular day. He's not talking about something that was specific to that day. But rather they mean that the nation could view these commandments as, as if they had been just given to them in a practical sense. They weren't actually given to them on that day. All the laws of the Torah were given on Mount Sinai. But in terms of their relevance, they only became relevant Hayom Hazer. What he's basically telling them is now, take note, be aware that as of now these laws have come into practice. They are real for you. They're no longer theory. That's what the Orachaim says about this, about this um, phrase, Hayom Hazer. Let's look at Rabbeinu Bachayim. It's number eight in our source sheet. Again, I've translated it. So you have the translation here. And by the way, of course, the source sheet is available online to download. Um, it should be available today. And uh, um, you can certainly use this. I think that many of the ideas contained in this shir are fascinating and relevant. Number eight, Rabbeinu Bachai. Only in the 40th year, Moshe Rabbeinu says, Hayom Hazeh. The first time he's ever used this phrase. It has already been 40 years since the Torah was given. So why does he only use it today? Says Rabbeinu Bachaye, the idea behind this phrase, as explained by our sages, was that the Torah should always be considered as beloved as if it had only been given on that very day at Mount Sinai. Similar to what is said regarding a similar phrase in the wording of Shema. So what does it say in Shema? The Shema, it says, Asher anochim hayom. What do Chazal say? When, about those words in the Shema. Again, the word Hayom, not Hayom Hazer, but the word Hayom. Chazal say, they, in other words, these words, should be as fresh for you as they had been received from Mount Sinai on this very day. Now, there's a difference. In one place, it says that they should be beloved. In another place, it says that they should be fresh. Says Rabbeinu Bachai, and the reason why in one place the Midrash uses the word new, fresh, and in the other it uses the term beloved, is because the manner in which we relate to Torah legislation. How do we relate to Torah law? People's reactions to certain phenomena vary not only individually, but are also affected by prevailing attitudes in different generations and environments. There is, it's not always Hayom Hazer that something happens. And this is what's being addressed by the words Hayom and Hayom Hazer. Man's heart has a tendency of being governed by his perception. When something is within his range of vision, he's liable to remember it. 
But as soon as it is out of sight, he tends to no longer focus on it and he forgets it. Miracles and wonders that have occurred in the era, in some era in the past, it happened a long time ago. You hear about a miracle. Oh, it's amazing. Really? That's happened? That's wonderful. When did it happen? A thousand years ago. Three thousand years ago. Right? We, we sit at Seder night and we talk about miracles. Dom, Tzvadeh, Kinim, Orev, etc. Wonderful. When did it happen? Three thousand, three hundred and something years ago. How does it affect me? Did I have a miracle happen to me today? No. So it affects you because you know it's the narrative of Jewish history. But how does it affect you? It may not affect you, right? The Torah must therefore um, warn us not to allow this natural process to affect us and must insist that just as the people at the time of the miracles were firm in their faith and belief, we in our respective generations must be no less so. That is why every year at Pesach we have to see ourselves as if we experienced the exodus. That's, that's what's going on here. That is the concept of Hayom Hazeh. We need to imagine as if it happened to us. We have to make it meaningful to us. It has to be an experience that we experienced. This lesson applies particularly to periods when the Jewish people are in exile and miracles do not manifest themselves on a daily basis. You woke up this morning, you walk around wherever you're going. Did any miracles happen to you that you could see? Did nature change? Nothing happened. Yes, it happened in the past. That's wonderful. It's history. Did it happen Hayom Hazeh? It didn't happen Hayom Hazeh, says Moshe Rabbeinu. It always has to be Hayom Hazeh. The Torah insists that we relate to everything in the Torah with the same degree of funness as we did when we were a sovereign nation in our own land. We need to have that love for it. But how do you have love for something? Only if it happened to you. Very hard to relate to something if it didn't happen to you. I can't love something that my grandfather loved. Do you understand what I'm saying? I know that my grandfather loved, I'm not I'm making this up by the way, he loved to eat broccoli. Does that mean I like to eat broccoli? No, but I do know that my grandfather liked to eat broccoli. Can I eat broccoli? Yeah, I could eat broccoli. Could I say when I eat the broccoli that my grandfather loved to eat broccoli? Of course I could do that as well. And it's meaningful. I could say the reason I'm eating this broccoli is because my grandfather loved eating broccoli. But do I love eating broccoli? No. I love doing something that my grandfather once did. That's something that happened in the past. How do we change that? We need to turn it into something fresh. At the same time, we have to be urged to view Torah legislation as something new, as something fresh, says Rabbeinu Bachaye, reminding us of all the miracles that preceded the giving of the Torah. It's not something that happened to us in the past. It happened to me today, now, Hayom Hazeh. In other words, the very experience of the revelation of Mount Sinai, that's what Moshe Rabbeinu is telling them, has to be Hayom Hazer, is to be recalled by us every time we study any of the laws of the Torah. When I open a Gemara, when I open a Chumish, when I come to a Shir, I'm standing at the foot of Mount Sinai. Not my grandfather stood at the foot of Mount Sinai. 
I am standing at the foot of Mount Sinai. That is the way Moshe Rabbeinu is telling us we need to relate to the Torah. Rabbeinu Bachaye says that this idea of beloved and fresh has to be combined, has to be fused in order to make it meaningful. Otherwise, we haven't really lived the Jewish experience. Let's look at the Be'er Mayim Chaim, number nine on your source sheet. Very, very important piece. Such an important piece. Says the Be'er Ma'im Chaim. It's a Hasidic piece. Kelomar. Until today, I didn't want to tell you this. I didn't feel that I wanted to tell you this. I wanted you to fulfill his commands and do everything that he wanted you to do, that God wanted you to do, from the fullness of your heart, through your heart, because you wanted to do it. But now I see that, you know what happens? People fall. They get less. They're not as excited. It's not as exciting for them. It's possible to fall out of love. Do you know that? You can be so passionate about something or somebody or an idea and then five years later, ten years later, forty years later in this case, it's not so exciting anymore. Or you may still express the same excitement, but there isn't the same energy anymore. There's not the same vibe. Says Moshe Rabbeinu, it's not self-generating anymore. I see that it's not with the same enthusiasm as you once had. And therefore, I need you to understand how much he loves you. God's enthusiasm for you hasn't diminished in the slightest. He loves you with the same passion and the same energy as he always loved you. Today is the same as the very first day when he told you, he commanded you, he directed you to follow his laws and his statutes. His energy hasn't diminished one iota. He wants to be Hashem your God. He still has the same excitement that, I'm going to use a word, I know it's about God, like a childish energy. Do you know what I'm talking about? I'm so excited you tell a kid, I'm going to buy you an ice cream. Oh my gosh, look at their face, the smile. That's God's smile when he sees a Jew who observes the Torah. The same energy, the same incredible energy, that's what God has. You don't understand how much he adores you. A parent loves their child. A parent absolutely adores their child. Sometimes children are less adoring of their parents. You know, in the beginning, they need their parents. They have this affection for their parents. They have this close proximity to their parents. But later on in life, it's not quite the same. Life moves on. They have their own lives. But a parent's love for their child never diminishes. And a child needs to remind themselves, oh my gosh, my parent loves me so much. I, I mean, I woke up this morning, I didn't call my parent. I didn't express the same love that my parent has for me, for my parent. Right? That's what Moshe Rabbeinu wants to tell them. It's Hayom Hazer. It's immediate. 
It's right now. It's so apparent. Why does God tell you to do all these things? Because he wants you to be the best. Why do parents do things for their children? They want their children to stand out from all the other children on the planet. Right? You meet a Jewish mother, what are they going to tell you? My child is the cleverest, the most amazing, the best in this. What about all the other Jewish mothers who have the most amazing and the best, etc., etc.? Each and every parent thinks that their child is the best. And they want their child to excel and do the best that they possibly can in every aspect of their lives. Why? They want their child to shine. It's an expression of their love for their child that they want their, love to sh their, their child to shine. God wants us to shine. That's what, that's what Moshe Rabbeinu is saying when he says, Hayom Hashem Today, he wants you to have that energy today. Why? Because he wants you to be the best. Because he loves you so much. And if it's true to say that God wants you to do all these things, um, and he wants them for your good, for your greatness, because of the greatness of his love and his affection that he has for you, in order to improve you, on every level you should do, you should, as it were, starve yourself. Uh, you should energize yourself. You should stretch yourself to the limit in every aspect of your material and spiritual existence. In your love for God. As an, a reflection of the love that God has for you, you need to demonstrate love to God. I'm going to end... I haven't finished that piece of Be'er Ma'im Chaim. I'm going to do the final piece, which I think is relevant because we're in the month of Elul. It's from the Nitivot Shalom. V'od Yeshloma, he says. I have another answer as to why the phrase Hayom Hazeh appears in this piece from the speech that was given by Moshe Rabbeinu. Merumaz Hayom Hazeh Hashanah. The words Hayom Hazeh are a hint, are there to convey the idea of Rosh Hashanah, Hayom. We use the word Hayom on Rosh Hashanah, right? The end of the Musaf prayer, we have this added piece, Hayom Tevarachenu, Hayom Tevarachenu, etc., etc., etc. Hayom is a reference to Rosh Hashanah. Ki ita kadosh. The Zohar says, Hayom Hazeh, what is the day of the year? It's Rosh Hashanah. She Rosh Hashanah hu yom hitchadshut habriah. It's the day of the renewal of creation. Why? It's the anniversary of creation. I was born on Chafei Elul. In fact, my birthday is 25th of September. It matched, it matched that year in 1970. I am, uh, I'm born on the 25th of Elul. The 25th of Elul is the first day a week. It's the anniversary of the first day of creation. But the final day of creation was six days later, right? The Friday, which is Rosh Hashanah. That's Rosh Hashanah is the anniversary of creation. Each year, that's the way the Jewish calendar works, it's, it renews the concept of creation. It reinforces creation. 
And that's why each and every year on Rosh Hashanah, we renew the majesty, the uh, monarchical element, the fact that God is king, because that's the day when he became king. He was crowned, as it were. His reign began over the material world when the material world was finished, which was on Rosh Hashanah. So we, it's the anniversary of his kingship. And similarly, it becomes the anniversary or the renewal of the covenant between God and the Jewish people. Each and every year, it is renewed. That is what it means when the Pasuk says, On this day, God, your God, commands you to do the um, statutes, etc. God wants you to be, he wants to be your God. Our job, our role, our duty, our obligation Rosh Hashanah is to renew our vows with God, to renew our relationship with God, to renew this concept that God is our God and we are his people. That he wants to be your God. That we should completely give give ourselves over to God. On this very day, on this day, Rosh Hashanah, God renews, as it were, his relationship with you as the chosen people, as the treasured nation. Both levels, both in terms of God being renewed as the king of the universe, as it were, to the level that we can understand what that means, on Rosh Hashanah, so too our relationship with God and as his chosen nation is renewed for God on that day. There's no such thing as a king that doesn't have a nation over whom he is king. And what does it mean? It means on Rosh Hashanah, all of these things are included. Kabbalat Torah, receiving the Torah. Uchritat Brit, and, and making that covenant. Vachtarat Mechamuchudeshet, and to renew the concept of kingship for God. Torat Avot Mikobrin. He quotes one of his ancestors, the great rabbi of Kobrin. Shechol all the changes that a person needs to make, all the improvements, the enhancements that one needs to make in terms of aspects of one's life that may have, you know, you may have lost direction or not as been, uh, not, uh, you've not been as in control as you need to be over those aspects of your life. You need to improve during the month of Elul in anticipation of Rosh Hashanah. Aval be Rosh Hashanah. What is the work that needs to be done on Rosh Hashanah? It's that which is said in Zohar Kadosh. On Rosh Hashanah, our job is to remember that we are going to make God king over us, every aspect, every limb, every aspect of our lives. That is the job of Rosh Hashanah. We're going to leave it here today. Thank you.